Day 30 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Today, we are beginning the book of Exodus, some 400 years later than where we left off at the end of Genesis. So get your hearts ready. Lots of good stuff today. But first, I want to give a shout out to my podcast listeners, those who listened to the very end of day 29 and got a little after party (laughs) when I uploaded the wrong track. They got to hear me exhale at the end of the lesson and talk myself through some of the tasks that I had to do following filming. And it was probably for a good five minutes. Thankfully, I didn't say anything inappropriate. I wouldn't have done that anyway, but I was telling Holly, I said, I'm glad my children weren't home and banging down my door because people would have gotten a real raw side of my motherhood over here. But just a little extra nugget for those who are on the podcast, you got to see the real raw behind the scenes Kanoi. So Holly and I had a good laugh about it this morning and I re-uploaded it. So if you weren't there, you missed it. But otherwise, if you could please help us out, if you like the raw and real nature of this podcast and these videos, if you could please hit that like button, give us a thumbs up, let us know you are partnered with us in this ministry, in this goal, in this mission of trying to get people into the kingdom of God and passionate about His Word, because it is here where our faith is going to be strengthened, where we're going to be equipped for everyday battles. It is here where we're going to find healing. It is here where we're going to find hope and many other things. And so if we aren't getting people into this Bible I hope you're at least getting them excited about God's Word. Otherwise, if you have any other questions, you can take a look in the show notes or the description box or always head on over to our website, heartdive.org, where it is a one-stop shop. And heads up, we've got something special coming your way. So stay tuned for that. We'll be making an announcement here in a couple of days. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray and jump into the book of Exodus. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know the beginning from the end. Lord, I know there are so many people who are crying out to you this morning, whether it is for healing or for guidance, for provision, for happiness, for healing, Lord, in their hearts, their brokenness, and their spirit. So I just pray, Lord, that you will be everything that they need today, for you are the great I am. So we cry out to you, Lord, even if we don't know what that name is that we need to call upon, we can simply call upon our God Almighty, the great I am, Elohim, El Shaddai, the names that we have learned about thus far. We cry out to you, you are the same God, the same God who was with those in the desert, the same God who was with Abraham and gave him a promise. You're the same God who walked with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fire. You're the same God who walked with Moses and the Israelites through the desert. You're the same God who will be here in the end when you return Jesus. So thank you for being with us. We thank you for your presence. We welcome you here. I pray that you will open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts. May they be heightened today as we open up your word to be able to hear clearly when you call our name and call us into obedience. And may we be that way today, Lord. May our hearts be humbled before you so that we will indeed listen to what you are telling us to do, and we will be obedient to it. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to pour it out onto others as well. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, book of Exodus. There are two parts to the book of Exodus. The first part, we are going to see the story or the narrative of Moses being called and being led out of Egypt and into the promised land, God revealing himself as their savior, their provider, their protector. And then we'll head into part two later on where we will see the laws beginning to form and the instructions that is given to the Israelite nation. It is believed that the author of this book is Moses as he did participate 
participate in most of the events in this book and likely written during the wanderings through the wilderness. The audience, of course, being the Israelites and us. And the theme of this, it it really is just a foundational charter of the nation of Israel. It records their release from slavery into freedom, into their promise. So here we are at chapter one, some 400 years later. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. So notice that they are put together, lumped together according to their mothers. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So here they are in Egypt as promised by God, completely multiplied to now two to three million people from that little family of 70. Now there arose a new king likely Seti, over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. So therefore, his family no longer has the favor that he once had. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies, which by the way, are the Hittites to the north, and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So these taskmasters would be known as the chiefs of the slaves. Labor. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. So, once again, here we see God taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it for good. See, the Egyptians are trying to break the Israelites down but they're only getting stronger. It's the same way our faith will grow in the times of pressing and when we feel that we are under a ton of weight because faith is like a muscle. And if you have ever lifted weights or you know anything about it, whenever you press that weight and the muscles contract, those fibers in the muscles actually tear. I mean, that's why we're so sore the next day. And as the saying goes, no pain, no gain. So if you're not lifting heavy enough to the point of that tearing, your muscle simply won't grow. But we've got the greatest spotter in the world. I mean, he's not going to let us crumble under that weight. He's going to be right there at our breaking point to take the load off. But he's not going to force his way into that position. And you see, a lot of us, we're under a yoke of slavery or heaviness because we're picking other people and other circumstances to be our spotter. So heart check, who is your spotter in life? Let those muscles grow. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in the mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, 
because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, this is likely a lie. We don't actually know if it for sure is. So God dealt well with the midwives. He blessed them and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now, typically a midwife was a midwife because of the fact that she could not bear children. And so here we see God overruling that and actually giving them children. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now, these midwives have incredible courage. I mean, their defiance of Pharaoh put them in grave danger. They probably could have been killed. Yet their fear of God trumped the fear of man. And the Bible calls us to be law-abiding citizens, except in the case where it will result in disobedience to God, which is the case here. And this is why God blessed them despite their lying. He was focusing on their goodness rather than their failure. And I thank God that he does that. I mean, if he was looking at my failures in comparison to my goodness, boy, would that scale be weighted in the wrong direction. And today we are seeing the moral gap in our justice systems. I mean, it's just getting smaller and smaller, which will one day put Christians in a similar situation that we see here. So heart check. What would you do if you were faced between obeying the law and obeying God? Does your fear of God trump your fear of the authority of man? Now, I do want to point out this is not a call to civil unrest whenever you feel like it, because there are some extremists who might take what I just said and justify craziness. Jesus never got nuts, okay? I mean, he peacefully resisted in obedience to the Father, and that is what would be our model if it did ever come to that point. So don't get nuts. Don't get crazy out there. Chapter two, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now Hebrew says that she hid him in faith. This was an act of faith. Now, when she could not hide him any longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. So she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now, this is the only place in the Bible aside from Genesis, where the Hebrew word for ark is used. And this makes me wonder if Moses's mother knew the word and built this miniature version of the ark so that she would be able to place her faith in the saving power of God. And if you're a parent, we are all at some point going to have to release our children in a sense. And our hope is that we will have created a solid foundation built on the word of God so that when they're released into the world, they won't sink. So heart check for the parents. Are you fashioning an ark for your child's future? Will their foundation be stable when you let them loose into the world? And by the way, we will learn that the parents of Moses are Amram and Jochebed in chapter six. So here we are in verse four. And his sister, who is Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. How did she know this? Probably because when she opened up the clothing of the child, she saw that he was circumcised. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? So this is Miriam's plan to be able to get Moses back into the arms of his mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So not only is she going to be able to nurse her own child, but she's going to get paid for it. I'm sure a lot of mamas are like, I sure wish I could have gotten paid to nurse my child. I'm just kidding. I know that nursing your child and even having a baby is all the pay you need in the world. But my goodness, wouldn't it be nice to get paid a little extra? I'm just saying, keeping it real. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Moses' name actually means he who draws out. Now one day, so this is 40 years later, Moses is about 40 years old here. We learn in Acts chapter seven, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. So looking around to see if anybody's looking, meaning he knows that this is wrong and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he sees the injustice here being done to his Hebrew people and it is illegal. It is a capital offense for an Egyptian, which Moses technically is, to strike down another Egyptian. So he has committed a capital offense of murder here. Now, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Now, Moses did have some influence here. I mean, he was a well-educated man because remember how much favor he had in the house of Pharaoh. But look what happens. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh, looks like somebody was looking. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely, the thing is known. Now, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And this is significant because big things happen at wells, especially in the life of Moses. So this is a classic case of your sin will find you out because that is pretty much what has happened here. He committed the sin. He thought no one was looking, but it still hunted him down. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. Way, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So seven unmarried women would have been the most unprotected women, which makes sense as to why these shepherds took advantage or tried to anyway, because they would have been vulnerable by themselves. Now, when they came home to their father, Ruel, who we will also known as Jethro, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second because we know that contentment is something that is learned. Paul says it in the New Testament. It doesn't come naturally. And here we are talking about a man who is highly educated. I mean, Moses probably got the best of the best private school education out there. It is said that he was schooled in almost every subject. He probably was even next in line for the throne of Egypt. I mean, he had all the riches, and yet now he is content in the desert? with nothing to his name, 
And I love this because it's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. You see, when I lived in Hawaii, I was always striving, seeing how quickly I could make the anchor desk or striving to win an Emmy award or renegotiating my contract for bigger pay, dreaming about a bigger house. I mean, it was always something. And even as a Christian with strong faith, I was so discontent because I was looking in the wrong place for my happiness. It wasn't until God literally picked us up out of paradise and moved us to the desert where I have learned contentment. You see, for the first time, I had no help raising my children. I had no ladder. I was able to even try to climb. No one knew who I was when I went to Costco. I had no identity here. So all I could do was plant myself into the Word of God. And it was here in the desert where I learned true contentment. It was here where I understood what it means to be a sojourner. It was here where my heart finally fixed itself on heaven. You see, as long as we're looking for fulfillment here on earth, we're never gonna be content because there is nothing on this earth that can truly give us joy or fulfill what only heaven can because our emotions are so fickle and it will lead us all over the place. So heart check. Are you content to dwell where you are, in the place where you live, in the job you're working, in your current situation? Where is your heart fixed? So again, he was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. Her name means bird. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, which Gershom means a stranger there or a sojourner. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So when we contrast what happened here, the people are groaning, they are crying out, they're crying, and look what it is met with. God heard them. He heard their groaning. He remembered His covenant. He saw them. He knew just the same way that He sees us. He knows us. He hears our cries. So don't stop crying out to Him. Chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So notice, Moses has nothing to his name. His flock isn't even his own. I mean, it all belongs to his father-in-law. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So this is literally God. The angel of the Lord will be terminology for God's appearances. And I find it interesting that he doesn't use something mighty. He's using a bush, which is so like God to use the uncommon, right? Now he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. Now, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So notice the point that God called Moses. It wasn't until he turned to see what in the world was going on. Because prior to this, I mean, he was kind of on autopilot. He was walking his flock through the desert, doing his daily chores. And so I thought about this and I was like, I'm gonna go ask my husband, who's a pilot. And I went to him and I said, what happens whenever you're flying on autopilot and something out of the ordinary appears on your radar? And he told me, 
We assess the situation. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what Moses did here. He started looking at the anomaly, probably trying to figure out the greater meaning or perhaps how it would affect his journey. And so then I asked my husband, okay, so what happens to your senses in this moment? And he said, they become heightened. And I was expecting that answer, but it was what he said next that hit the nail on the head. He told me, but you can't become so focused on that one thing because you might miss an alarm somewhere else. And there it was. I was like, wow, God will turn on a light on our control panel to get our attention, to heighten our senses so that when he calls, we will hear his voice. But if we're on vacation mode or if we are so focused on other things, we're going to completely miss the alarm when it goes off. And it wasn't the bush that changed anything. It was the word of God. So heart check. Are you aware of the things that God is trying to show you? Can you hear his voice when he calls, or are you on autopilot or too focused on other things? Verse 5, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So here we see this sort of separation that the people had between them and God, which of course, Jesus tore that veil. We are no longer separated from the Father. We are actually able to access Him directly because of what Jesus did. And when He says, take your sandals off your feet, I had to ask myself, what significance do the sandals hold? Well, when you think about it, uh, the poorest of people were the ones who would not have had shoes. And so that tells me that whenever you have your sandals on, taking them off is showing the utmost reverence or the utmost humility. It's putting you in that place of the lowest servant. And also, it would have symbolized possibly removing the dirt. Because remember, we talked about when they would trample through the desert and they would pick up all of the dirt and the dust that was in the desert onto their feet and it would like kind of cake on there. So removing the sandals is like leaving all of that pollution of what you were just trampling through at the door. So when you come into his holy presence, you're not carrying all that junk with you. To me, it symbolized confession and repentance. You are removing the dirt. But if you have other thoughts on that, let me know because I definitely don't want to lead you down a road of wrong information. I'm just trying to tell you what I heard in my spirit or in my heart. Verse six, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So this is saying the covenant is still in effect. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And remember when I told you before that when people came into the presence of God, it would invoke this fear within them, this natural fear of who they were seeing or what they were seeing. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So how different the heart of Moses is now. I mean, we will see time and time again that God will send out the ones who do, in fact, say, Who am I to do this? He isn't going to pick the people who are in the back of the room raising their hand like, Pick me! Pick me! I want to be up there! I got this! He's going to call on the one who knows that they don't got this, because where would that leave the great I am? 
Jesus says, blessed are the meek and poor in spirit and pure in heart. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones who are going to see God and be filled. It's the ones who have been broken to the point that they know that they cannot do a thing without Him. You see, I heard the calling on my life more than 20 years ago, and there were times in between where I thought I was it. I was ready. I had it all in the bag. But it wasn't until I was broken and felt unusable when God finally said, now's the time. Now you're ready. Because I went from a place of self-reliance to complete dependence on Him. So heart check. Do you feel as though you are qualified and deserving of greater things? Or are you able to say, who am I? Verse 12, and he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. By the way, this is Mount Sinai. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So he doesn't give him an answer. He just simply says, I am the answer. I am the I am. I am equal to me. I am he. You can't put anything else on the side of the equal sign. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So this mighty hand being that of God, his strength, will be the one to move Pharaoh. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Wonders actually referring to the things only God can do. These wonders being the 10 plagues. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. So he is going to not only protect them, he's going to give them all the provision and also favor. But Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, an interesting point here is that everything that they plunder from the Egyptians will be all of the gifts that are taken into the tabernacle. And I wanted to go back here to... I am. And if we look at the times that the Bible says, or when Jesus says, I am, fill in the blank, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I am the good shepherd, the door, and the vine. There are so many times that he declares who he is to and for the people. And I also wanted to point out this little book. I've shown it before last year, but this is called Praying Through the Names of God. And I love this book. Someone 
gifted it to me last year. But you can look through this book, even in the table of contents. And if you are feeling a certain way, like I am feeling sick, I need healing. You can look for the Lord, our healer, Jehovah Rapha. Or if you are feeling unworthy for some reason, we could look and say, oh, the God of my righteousness, Elohe Sadeki. There are so many names of God that we can be praying and declaring. And what's really great about this book, and by the way, this is Tony Evans who wrote this, is that not only does he just state the names of God, but he gives us the prayer. He gives us the way we can pray the name of God, just the way that I like to pray the word of God. And I just treasure this so much. I love this little book. It's a great one to put on your bedstand and just declare his nature before you go to bed. And I believe it is in doing so that we will strengthen our faith. So let's take a look at some deep dive questions. Do you see similar moral dilemmas like that which the midwives faced? And how would you handle it? Do you see similar moral dilemmas like that which the midwives faced today? Do you believe Moses's mother truly believed that Moses would survive? And how does that inspire your faith today? Why did God use a burning bush? What does God telling Moses not to come near show us? Is holy ground still significant today? In what ways? And when you think of God as the great I am, what does that mean personally to you, both in season and eternally? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for being everything we need, for being the great I am. I pray that we will call upon you for every need and in every season, especially in the wilderness seasons. I pray that we never allow ourselves to succumb to the feeling of loneliness or unworthiness and give up in those times. But I pray that we will continue to work and walk with you knowing that as much as it might hurt, it is a season of preparation. You are strengthening us for something even greater. I pray that we will recognize when you are trying to get our attention. Help us not to be so distracted in life that we miss your call. And as we trudge through the desert, picking up dirt, I pray that when we come before you, we will leave it all at the door. May we never walk so casually into your presence that we fail to acknowledge that we are trampling on your holiness. I pray that we will gain a better understanding of what that means so that we can then find our place of humility within it. It is because of you, God, that we are even here, existing in this life. You saved us. You picked us up when we were abandoned. You nursed us back to life. And now we know that we have an even greater calling to live out your purpose and to walk in freedom. So I pray that we will listen to your guidance and walk in step with you the entire way. It is because of your everlasting covenant with us that you still hear our cries and see our every waking moment. You see us, you know us, and you will never forget us and you'll never leave us. So we thank you for that. And for those of us who feel like we aren't even worthy of being here or even being called by you, I pray that you will lift our heads to know that we have been set apart for your divine purpose. We have seen how you will use the uncommon, the weak, the unlikely, but even in our unworthiness, our answer is here I am. We say yes to you because we know that you will be everything we need along the way and we trust in that. We know you are continually leading us to higher ground and to greater things. So we set our hope today on eternity. We love you so much. We thank you for this word today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. 
And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.